We are back once again. Welcome everyone to a fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. Alexis Dune is here with you as usual. And my boy, Nate Saunders, who's been a very, very busy man. Nate, we can finally say this. Now, before we get to anything, I just want to say, stay tuned, guys, because we've got some very, very juicy interviews for you, Nate. Like I said, you have been quite busy. We've got a double dose of Haas. And Nate spoke to none other than Gunther Steiner, the team principal of Haas. I'm sure he's such a character. I absolutely love him. So I can't wait to get to that one. So stay tuned to that. But before we do get to Gunther, Nate, just over two weeks till we have racing the words I never thought we'd hear. I just want to take a moment. But seriously, I'm absolutely buzzing for this, Nate. And let's just recap pretty much everything and get on the same page so you can break it down as to what we can expect. Because we know there's still some holes that need to be filled. But pretty much starting off with a doubleheader in Austria. Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for that intro, as always. Um, <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. I mean, a couple of months ago, we didn't really know when we would be saying that we'll be going racing. So like you say, the fact that we can is pretty exciting. And this plan has always kind of been there, this Austria doubleheader, but it was always kind of a hope rather than an expectation. And then that very quickly changed around very recently. And it now is the 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 basis of this season. So we have eight European races at six venues. So Austria has two races and uh, Silverstone, the British Grand Prix host has two races as well. Um, a, a funny quirk of that is that the second race of both of those will be called something different. So you'll have the Austrian Grand Prix, then the Steermark Grand Prix. And for Britain, you'll have the British Grand Prix. And then the following week, you'll have the 70th anniversary of Formula One Grand Prix, which I think is the official title. Maybe they need to shorten it down a bit, but it's, 100%. It's, yeah, <laughs> 70 years since the first Formula One uh, World Championship race, which was at Silverstone. So it's actually given Formula One a nice way of marking that anniversary um, as it stands. So the calendar currently goes up to the Italian Grand Prix, which is at the start of September. And then after that, we have a big gap. But that doesn't mean the season ends there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're expecting very, very soon to hear from Formula One what the rest of the calendar looks like. But you know, that, that, that involves other continents, North America, Asia, et cetera. So they're still working on that and they have time to, to work on it. But yeah, it's great to actually sit here and say that we've actually got races to look forward to. They'll look a lot different to anything we've ever seen before. There won't be podium ceremonies. There won't be fans. You know, if anyone's watched any NASCAR or uh, anything, you know, that's happened over the past couple of weeks, you'll know that social distancing has been observed in these sporting yeah. events and that'll be the same for these races. So it will be unlike anything we've ever watched before, but the main thing is it will be watching Formula One, and that's the main thing, right? Exactly, because I feel like I've been studying and studying and studying for this exam for this season that you guys have been prepping me for. And, then you've, had, keeps... and you've had four months now extra, so <laughs> there's no excuses for getting this, any of this I've stuff wrong. Four months extra, <laughs> but it still feels like it's like, you know, when you miss an exam and they just let you take it from home and you're just in a little shell just wondering that actually happened to me once. So I feel like that's it, because obviously it's not going to be racing as we've come to know and love with all the fans and glitz and glam. But still, the point is, it's racing. We're going to be talking about it. We don't have to, you know, rely on old school races that we've been digging up on YouTube or or shows or whatever. So we can finally see live and in action. But like you were saying, still trying to get, you know, an idea of what the season will look like. We know that they're aiming for around 15 to 18 races, is it? But some races have already been... I suppose, become casualties, Nate. You could probably just tell us a bit more of those. And and is it true that China's been offered probably two races, two race weekends rather? Yeah, so the the plan has always been to try and get a Chinese Grand Prix at some point this year. If you remember, China was the first race that was postponed this season. That was obviously where coronavirus started before it became a global pandemic. And it's such a big market for Formula One. It's not a surprise that they're trying to get that back on. But 
because we've had races fall by the wayside, they also have to bulk that calendar out. That's why we've got two Austrian Grand Prix. That's why we've got two British Grand Prix. It looks likely that what we could end up with is uh, two races in China, two races in Bahrain, and two races in Abu Dhabi. Now, those are things that are being talked about. There was also something that made me laugh as someone who's been to Sochi a few times. There was a suggestion, the Sochi organizers said, hey, we want two races in Sochi. And most fans seem to <laughs> think that was the worst suggestion they'd ever heard. But at the moment, these are all things that Formula One has to consider because, you know, there's less races than there was meant to be. Um, you know, we, we still don't know about Mexico and the US. I think both of those races, you know, will do everything they can to go ahead. They haven't been cancelled yet. Brazil is the same. But you mentioned some casualties of the calendar and we, we learned three big ones this week. It was, um, it was Baku, Singapore and Japan. So all three of those, you know, uh, some of the best races on the calendar, in my opinion, um, that just won't be on. And there's, there's a multitude of reasons for that. Singapore and Baku, both street races. So you think about the lead time they need to know those events are going ahead. They just can't commit to those races ahead of time. And, you know, Japan have their other reasons as well for doing that. So it's a shame we won't get those races. And hopefully, you know, there's talk of Bahrain maybe running a different configuration for one of their races because they have a, a circuit basically in the middle of the desert, which has different layouts and stuff. So we might get some different races, as I was saying before, something we've never seen before. Um, but the basis of a calendar is there and we should get the rest of the schedule at some point in the next few weeks, you know, there's talk of it having to be finalized before the first race, but I don't think that's actually the case. Uh, but we will know it sooner rather than later. The question I guess is going to be how many of these do we get until we actually see fans in the stadiums again, uh, you know, in the, in the grandstands and, and even for us, the media, it's going to be massively cut back. So, yeah. you know, this whole season, it's, it's just great that we're getting a, that we're actually just getting a championship up and running. Um, so I'll happily, if, you know, if, if, if it comes to it, I'll happily sit through two Russian Grand Prix and such. I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll swallow my hatred of that place and um, oh, no. watch two races. <laughs> Jeez, tell us how you really feel, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been there. For, I've been there for. I think I've been there four of the five times it's been on or something, and I just don't. I just can't think of any redeeming. Yeah, you know, it's just not for me. But yeah. you know, it's it, if you want to go to Sochi, you want to check it out. You can do it next year, probably. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that. I don't want to ruin their tourism <laughs> opportunities going forward. You know, people need. People need tourism after this is all done. People so need if you want to go to Sochi, you can make your own mind up. But I've been four times and it's four. Yeah, it's enough. It's it's not Nate's cup of tea or a cup or a shot of vodka. Put it that way, because we know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that's what I think when I think Sochi, of course. But um, just quick question as well. I, from what we were saying, like we said, you know, the numbers that have been put out there is fifteen to eighteen races. Still a lot of planning to go. And I know it seems like only just three more races to reach the 18, but we know just how much of an effort it is to put on three race weekends additionally. Um, which, how much do you think we really will get to see? Would it be closer to the 15 or do you feel like the 18 is actually a, pro- a possible number to reach? I think, I think they can get to 18 and I think that doubling up will, will help that. Because if you think about the three I mentioned, even if yeah. you ignore Sochi, that goes from three, that is three turns into six very quickly. And then if you get Sochi, you know, four turns into eight very quickly. So you can see how they would pad it out. And obviously the benefit of, of, of getting a race on the, on the schedule is that you can stay there for a, another week. You know, if you have to observe quarantine or lockdown uh, restrictions, which is what they're going to be doing in Austria. So you can see how that would be easy to do. Uh, it might not be ideal, but it, it, it's going to help them get a season on. So hopefully we get 18. We were meant to have 22, mm-hmm. remember, this year. So we were talking about how many races we were going to have. So 18 still is a, is, is a huge amount. But in, in recent memory, it would actually be a lot less than we've, we've kind of been seeing and been used to. Um, but yeah, hope, I, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic now. So I'll say, I'll say 18. 
Oh, we love some optimism. Everybody's coming out and being optimistic now. Lord knows we do. We do need it. Well, all eyes, of course, will be, you know, on this season for more, you know, reason than just the fact that we've been missing racing and we want to actually see some action. But um, there's also a couple of changes that, you know, we've been talking about to see to come into um, effect sometime soon, how it will affect everybody. <laughs> right now, we're just trying to think how this break and pandemic is affecting everyone. But when those changes do come, um, Nate, just tell us what what to expect and probably recap them so people can you know know and just get back up to speed on what the new season will entail. Yeah, so this was actually so we're gonna as as, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast we're gonna um, play my interview with Gunther Steiner later on and this this was really the basis of what we were talking about because it's it's actually been an incredibly important couple of months for Formula One. I know there's you know horrible circumstances behind why we're not racing, but as Gunther says, it kind of uh, as, as you'll hear him say um, later, it, it kind of forced people to make decisions that otherwise they weren't making, they didn't have to make, you know, and the, suddenly the, I guess the end product became, instead of talking about something that you can very easily justify going one way or the other, the, the end game was we have to keep Formula One as it is. We have to preserve teams like Williams, like Haas, you know, the teams at the other end of the grid. So a lot of it's been financial. So um, the three big ones that we talk about in the interview, and I'll, I'll, I'll go through them quickly here because I'm sure people want to, want to stop listening to me and they want to start listening to Gunther. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the three main ones, um, I mean, the, the 2022 rule change has been pushed back. So there's been a freeze on development for cars for the next two years, which do you think financially that's a huge thing for teams because they don't have to be working on this year's car and a completely new car for next mm-hmm. season. So that's going to be a huge thing. It might not be great from a competitive standpoint because it might lock in teams that you know are a bit further behind, but that's, Unfortunately, it's just a byproduct of where we are right now. We have to accept that that is potentially something that will happen. But the two big ones that I'm really fascinated by, um, and they both start in 2021, is a, a budget cap of 145 million, which sounds like a lot of money, but actually a lot of the teams don't spend anywhere close to that, and Haas is included in that. So the key with it is that it actually brings back the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull to that number. So it's not a case of, of, of teams all spending up to that. It's actually very interesting. And a lot of you know, the big teams have agreed this big thing to step down and we've already seen the impact of that mclaren have announced a lot of job cuts across their across their companies anyway from coronavirus but part of that is going to be in the f1 team and ferrari is looking at potentially going to indycar to to, so they can siphon off some of that stuff from formula one that they can no longer use um so they're still working for ferrari so it's it's going to have huge ramifications on the top teams but for a team like us that's huge and it's not them saying suddenly hey mercedes will be spending the same amount as us but what it does do is it means that that gap is, you know, is, is no longer so big. Instead of starting a hundred meters race, 10 meters behind, a uh, hundred meters behind Mercedes, they're starting 50 meters back or 40 meters back or whatever. So there's still a gap, but it's closing that gap down. Um, and the other one you'll hear me mention something called a sliding scale of development, which is very much like a, an NFL or major league baseball draft. So the team that finishes 10th in the championship uh, under this rule, the following season, will get the most time with their car in the wind tunnel. Now, the wind tunnel is where you measure the airflow around the car. It's how you design a car efficiently. Obviously, the, the key to being fast is to get the air from the front of the car to the back of the car as quickly as possible. I know that I probably offended a ton of engineers listening to that because that's the most simple <laughs> way of putting that ever. It's but, okay. You've got to put it like that for, yeah, for us plebs. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and, and I know that I'm sure people call me up on on the logic of that exact explanation but but if you get more time in the wind tunnel the the idea would be that you've got the more chance of of working out how to make your car aerodynamically efficient and of course you, one of the things i ask him is how that actually works if you're holding teams to a budget cap how do you actually say to williams for example let's say last year's championship 
is the one we go into this sliding scale with, they would then have the most wind tunnel time. But how do they spend more money than Mercedes who would have the least time in the wind tunnel? You know, does, does Mercedes just end up having the most efficient time in the wind tunnel because they have the system in place? So it might not be a perfect system, and it's it, but it, it shows just how much F1 has done to try and, A, bring the costs down as much as they can, but also to address a problem that really has got quite out of control over the past few seasons, which is just how big the gap is between the yeah. first three teams and the rest. You, you remember last year, you know, we were talking a lot about how Haas went from being the best of the rest or contender for best of the rest to being ninth. But that really is it. You know, those teams in the midfield, even McLaren, you know, a great team like McLaren, went, yeah. we went to the launch at the start of the season and they were there saying, hey, yeah, we just want to finish fourth. You know, fourth would be great for us. And that really... It's disheartening, sport, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we, we're all huge sports fans across the board, you know, and it's very rare that you see sports where it's that imbalanced. So it's Formula One trying to make a, um, a change in the positive direction. It's been, yeah, their hand's been forced a bit. Um, and the interesting thing as well is going to be when the world gets back to normal, are those old habits of self-interest going to come back into play? I asked him for that as well, what he thought. And, um, he was in good form. I think it was quite early in the morning. So he wasn't, he, he might not be the Gunther Steiner that you, that you remember from Netflix, but when he's at home, if you've seen the Netflix, like Steiner at home episode, yeah. he's much more relaxed and, uh, reserved, but yeah, he's a great character. And, you know, I know you like him from, from watching him on that series, but he's a really interesting guy, you know, good to chat to. And, um, you can see why people at Haas really love working for him. Cause he's just a passionate guy, loves racing and, you know, really puts the interest of the team ahead of everything else, which I respect a lot about him. So hopefully it's an illuminating chat with him. And, and, um, then we have Roman Grosjean next week, uh, which Lawrence, uh, did yesterday, but we're going to push that back to next week. So we've got a double dose of Haas, as you said. Um, yep just to spoil people with oh they love some spoiling why not all right so without further ado i mean let's get right to it because you're going to tell me why you don't like sochi and everyone i hope you guys enjoy listening to nate's brilliant illuminating chat with gunther gunther steiner thank you so much for joining the espn f1 podcast great to have you with us how are things going uh thank you and thank you for having me uh things are uh going uh the circ- in the circumstances pretty good now i mean I, I, I think we we got out of the uh, of the water now because uh, knowing that we go racing uh, that makes the target a little a lot clearer than before. Before it was like uh, what is going to happen, and you just try to uh, keep on going, but you you don't know really why and what for. So now uh, having a uh, at least a, the first eight eight races confirmed, it helps at least the guys come back and and then you give you can give them task and they, they they get a little bit calmer because obviously for uh, the team people, they don't know what is coming. So they all are worried, not only about going back to work, but having a job, you know. So uh, I think we calmed that uh, down. And uh, uh, thanks God we didn't have any uh, of the cases of the uh, COVID-19 uh, in the team up to now. Hopefully we don't get any in the future, obviously. But uh, uh, that helps as well to keep the spirits high. Yeah, and and just what what's it been like for you as somebody who's been in racing for so long we you you're used to traveling around the world and every couple of weeks sometimes you know multiple weekends at a time having races and then suddenly and we were right on the cusp of having a race as well in australia you know literally about to start practice and then that was cancelled and then we've had these months since so what's it been like for you i know there's been a lot of discussions behind the scenes which we'll get into in a bit but it must have been quite a stressful time to start with as you said lots of really important things to consider from a team a team boss uh, perspective. No, uh, uh, as you say, it's very strange. We came, I came back from Australia. Uh, I left on Saturday. Got back on Saturday to uh, to the states here to home, 
And then all of a sudden it's like, what is happening? What is not happening? And it's like, but I think the not traveling, uh, as much as you, you think you miss it, you, you do, you do actually not in the short term because there's so much to be done that you're pretty happy to, uh, to be sitting at the desk and trying to find a solution to things. Because if, if you would uh, add some additional traveling, you couldn't just do it because it, it just would mess you up. Uh, so, uh, but as you say, after a while, it's like you almost forget how much you were traveling before. I, I do. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm different than other people. I mean, I, I, I it seems like. I haven't been traveling now for years, it seems like. But by the way, it was only four months, you know, uh, that we stopped this. So it's, it's a very odd feeling. And for, for me, the, the weirdest thing was uh, that I call it now such a thing can throw us so off. It's amazing, you know. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a pandemic. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, underestimating what it is, but uh, there was no provision or anything for it, you know. We just got hit hard. I, and I suppose it's been made a lot easier by the fact that people have all been in one place. They haven't been going race to race. People have been able to meet exactly like we're doing this podcast now over Zoom, kind of seeing each other's a little window into everybody's world. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the, the budget cap and the sliding development in a second. But have you found that that must have been quite um, quite an encouraging thing to see for somebody who's you've been pushing for a lot of changes for a long time in terms of budget cap? And it seems that this forced everybody into the same position. You know, everyone had to respond to this. There were no self-interests involved as there might have been before in terms of blocking things or not blocking things. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think, first of all, uh, technically it worked uh, uh, very well with, uh, with video conferencing because it seems to be it's a lot more disciplined. Uh, when, when you have a video conference, you know, you just cannot shout in because nobody listens to you on video conference if you just shout in, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I think the FA and the FM did a good job in organizing it. Uh, for, for me personally, I'm used to a lot of video conference, conferencing anyway because we have got the... Uh, uh, places in three countries, so we are doing this a lot. So, but everybody reacted good, and uh, as you say, there was—I wouldn't say there was no self-interest. That's a little bit going too far. I, I would say there was less self-interest, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> because no self-interest in F1, I, I think we never can get get away with that one because it's a competitive sport, you know. So, I'm not trying to be negative about it. It's just, uh, but everybody came to the conclusion that we need to find a solution which works for everybody, you know, everybody compromising a little bit will help the greater picture that we, we, we can keep on going. Because if, if somebody would not have compromised, uh, that would have uh, Thomas Palmer in the works, you know, and we couldn't have come up with a vote, but we needed to get this through uh, uh, to have a, a regulation for the future, which works for everybody. And in the end, I think it worked out good. It's, it's quite, now again, with the hindsight and, and being smart afterwards, it's like, uh, why does it, why, why did it take a pandemic to come to this conclusion? You know, if you think about it, we are all, I mean, decently intelligent people, I would say, you know, and, 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 and we should have got this compromise before we get put in a corner and we have no out anymore. We, we, we should come up with solutions to this. But again, hopefully we learn out of this and, uh, and don't forget too quick about where we ended up because of the pandemic and then had to, uh, 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 to do uh, to on the emergency breaks uh, uh, to, to survive. So hopefully we learn, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure we do. Uh, I, I I make sure that I remind myself all the time on it. You know how uh, uh, how uh, fragile the whole system actually is. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's worth bringing home, isn't it? Is it? It wasn't just regulations you guys were talking about in in, in purely in how they're written down. It was. The, the long-term future of a lot of teams, you know, Haas included, obviously Williams currently now is, has put themselves up for sale. So 
that really brought home the precarious situation that a lot a lot of those teams kind of had at that end of the grid. Absolutely, uh, and uh, uh, we are still working. We still have to do the uh, the commercial agreement. And uh, as you said, I think for Williams, this has given at the ch- a better chance to be sold to find an investor because there's a budget cap now in place. So somebody who wants to come in into the sport, and I'm not just speaking about Williams, I just mentioned Williams because they uh, they put themselves on the market. But it's it's much better to put yourself on the market with having clear rules behind you that somebody who invests knows what he's going to, uh, uh, what the maximum uh, is he's in for. You know, so I think that's a very good thing that we have this regulation. So, uh, and it's good for everybody, not only for Williams going forward, for everybody, you know what you're in for. So you can better plan for it before that there was no budget cut. It was like, you know, more you can put in, uh, uh, better this, you know, and uh, who would, who would sign on in the, uh, uh, economics in the fragile economics like they are now nobody yeah absolutely and I was going to ask about the budget cap it's something that you've been you've been mentioning and you've been endorsing for a very long time are you happy with the the terms of that because it actually came down from what was originally thrown around 175 million it's come down to 145 which gets scaled down over the next couple of seasons after that obviously for a team like Haas it's still more money than you would be spending year on year but the key is it brings guys like Mercedes and Red Bull closer to you in terms of what they're spending year on year are you first of all are you happy with where it ended up I suppose it's better than nothing as you said uh, I mean as I said before we are never happy anyway because <laughs> and, and if somebody in a, 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 in an agreement between 10 teams if everybody's happy or if one is really happy something is wrong because he got an advantage so I think the task for FOM and FA was to make everybody a little bit happy and a little bit unhappy and find that compromise that everybody can live in and I think we found it as you said we are still uh, uh, under the, the under the 145 for next year, which are uh, talked about. But I see it like this: before we had the gap uh, between, I, I now say between us, uh, all the smaller teams and the big teams of between 100 and 200 million, maybe 150 million. Now the gap maybe is 20 million. I mean, if I would say that is not better for us, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't really understand numbers in my opinion. So it's a lot better. Is it ideal? No, but uh, it's a lot, it's a lot, lot better, you know. And uh, uh, I think the fair play to the big teams, when I look at the numbers now that we are going to now to budget planning and for them to come down to these numbers, it, it is, they, they, they got the job in front of them because I know how this number, I, I know how it is to work with these numbers because uh, that is what I'm used to since, uh, since, since five years. But from them coming from the big number down here, it, 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 it needs a lot of management and, and a lot of planning to get there, you know. So uh, I don't invite them in the moment to come down uh, to these numbers. But uh, uh, for us, for sure, it, it, it's a big step. Is it ideal? No, but uh, can I live good with it? Yes. Yeah. And another another big part of, of that was the sliding scale of development, which is a fascinating thing for Formula 1 teams to agree. In other words, if you're 10th, you get the most wind, wind tunnel time the next season. Which, when you write it down, it seems like a really good idea. But I wonder about, I suppose, we'll never know the practicalities until you guys are actually trying that. But how, how easy is that going to be to actually implement? And is it going to be possible for teams at that end of the championship to necessarily make the most out of that time in the wind tunnel if they, say, are able to have more wind tunnel time than, than the team that wins the championship? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big question that, again, goes with the budget. Uh, going in the wind tunnel and doing CFD costs money. And they need to see... Uh, uh, if you've got the money, but then also you need to, you can decide where you invest your money, you know, so 
uh, I, I think uh, we, we need to, to, to try it, but it at least gives us the opportunity to do something about it, you know, and then uh, as well, we cannot, I don't expect being a small team that, that, that uh, uh, we're getting too socialistic here, you know, we need to fight our own corners. Now we need, we have the opportunity to do something and they gave us the opportunity, the big teams, by uh, signing on to it. Now we need to find the finances to do this. That is then a job. And for sure, the first year or the second year will be difficult until everything uh, uh, settles in and you understand how it works properly. But you've got an opportunity, and that opportunity should drive us, uh, the smaller teams, to, to find the financial resources to use uh, uh, this opportunity. Uh, uh, we cannot ask now. That the next thing is we should ask the big teams if they give us money to use that uh, additional uh, thing, but I, I think they will disagree with that one. But uh, I, I think giving the opportunity and having the chance to do it, it's 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 a it's a step in the right direction. And maybe the big teams voted for it as well because they said maybe they cannot use it anyway, you know, because they don't have the finances. So, uh, but it's there. So if you are clever, we will find a solution to, uh, to to use it to our advantage. Well, like you said, it's a new it's a new way of thinking in Formula One. So maybe if you if you ask the teams that, they might come back and they might surprise you and. You know, hand over some envelopes at the start of the year with some some shiny cash in. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't want to say that publicly because then somebody believes <laughs> it. The next thing yeah. is I've got the, uh, the IRS in front of my door. No, no, yeah. there's no handing over cash here going on. So, yeah. but no, but uh, uh, I, 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 we just have to do a good job and, and and try to make it work for us. Yeah. No, we'll put a full full disclaimer there that you weren't that you weren't endorsing teams giving you money. <laughs> um, I don't accept any envelopes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for whoever's listening. Yeah. Um and just just finally on the on the future rules and you you kind of touched on it a little bit, Gunther, which was um you said that it wasn't it wasn't a complete change away from self interest. It was obviously still there and always would be there. But do you think is this mindset has it changed permanently or do you are you are you concerned or do you have any concerns that maybe two, three years down the line, we start seeing the bigger teams kind of naturally acting that way again, which I suppose you can understand because they're, they've got a championship to win, etc. Or do you th- has this changed the, the mindset going forward long-term, do you think? Have people seen the bigger picture? Uh, I think we will uh, tend to go uh, down to, to the old habits. We are human beings, but I don't, I don't think it will be as, ex- uh, as extreme as it was before. And I think to get uh, uh, into have this big financial gap between the small and big teams, it will be just difficult uh, to uh, to achieve again. Because I always said in the beginning when the budget cap came out and it was at 175, everybody said, yeah, but this is too high. But for me, I, I always said that. I think it's good that you've got the budget cap. Now we just have to tweak the number. Just, yeah. I mean, I mean, just is a big word as well here, you know. Uh, but And then what, what did we do? We came into a crisis. We had the budget cap. We tweaked the number. If if we would have come into this crisis without having a financial regulation with a budget cap in place, we would have not ended up where we ended up because you couldn't do it in this short period of time to introduce a budget cap from nothing, a financial regulations, a financial regulation. I don't know if you looked it up on the web. It's on there. It's something very good written and it takes time to do it. It took a year to write it, you know. So we couldn't have done that in two months in an emergency. So the regulation was there and now we have the opportunity to go up and down with the number. And if, if at some stage, and I hope that uh, Formula One, uh, we end up to, to, to get more revenue from, uh, from sponsors, from FOM, because we have got more viewers, then we can talk about increase it again. But it needs to make sense. But at least we have got something there, a platform we can work with. And I think uh, 
Uh, that was the best thing ever happened. That uh, I think it's over a year now ago that uh, that it was started on the financial regulation and to implement the budget cap, and it worked. I mean, we see it worked. Maybe we just got lucky that we did it at the right time, just in time for this pandemic, you know, to be prepared. But again, it somebody thought about it and uh, uh, and said, "This is what you have to do to uh, to, to make F1 uh, future proof." Yeah, absolutely. And I think most people would agree that it certainly looks like it's been future-proofed quite well. And I suppose we we can turn to the future now. And you mentioned it at the beginning of our chat. We know now we're going to go racing in Austria twice. You know, so good that we're going to get get it twice in two weeks. And just on that as well, I mean, we haven't, you said it feels like it's been four years. It definitely does feel that long since we were in Spain doing preseason testing. But that that gap, you guys obviously have data from preseason testing, but you've just had to wait longer until you can see it in action. So how much how much of a difference... It, just from a pure performance point of view, do you think that's going to make? Because you guys still don't really know where your car is related to everyone else, but that's the same for the other nine teams you've got going. So those that Friday practice session is going to be fascinating, and teams are going to be learning those cars for, for two weeks, I suppose, again. Yeah, I mean, it will be an eye-opener for all of us. And, and uh, I don't know, I was asked maybe a week or two ago, where, where do you think you stuck up? And I had to really think about it because, uh, you know, with all this happening, you focus so much more on... Uh, the survival of the team and to make sure that we are here in the future than on the performance. So now we need to go back to our, to that what we, what, what I, I, anyway, I like most is go racing, you know, and try to find out where we are. But I, I'm with you. Uh, uh, I, I cannot wait for Friday to see where we stuck up and hopefully we stuck up, uh, good, but I have no idea because we didn't do as has any developments in the, in the period, uh, uh, we were shut down and we started up again. So we come back with the same car we had ready for uh, Australia. While I think some of the bigger teams, they had already some upgrades planned uh, for this period and they could uh, do them. So we in the moment uh, uh, need to keep our uh, head uh, uh, low, you know, because we just need to go through this season and make the most out of it, what, uh, of what we have got, because I, I'm sure you're aware of that the, uh, the financial situation is not fantastic for uh, anybody in the moment, not knowing how many races we have got, how much uh, money we will get from FOM and so on. So we just need to be careful and manage that properly and uh, maybe even uh, live with a little bit less performance than we would have done uh, uh, with, without having the pandemic and, 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 and uh, uh, the poor in F1 with, with all this changing. So in the moment, I'm happy to go back racing, to go back out there and then built up from there again. For me, it's more like going back a little bit like we, where we were in 60, you know. It's like a new startup. It's a second time starting up. Start slowly again. Make sure that you put that you do everything right and get going again. Yeah. And maybe maybe for Austria, you need some of that instead of 2016, some of that 2018 magic because in Austria, 2018, you had a fantastic weekend there. So that would, I mean, that would be an incredible way to start the season. Yeah, that, that, that's a little bit wishful thinking, you know. Yeah. I think you're with me there, but uh, for sure we tried to do our best. But uh, uh, yeah, we were very strong in Austria in 18. I mean, it was a fantastic weekend. So uh, especially with having two races there, it would be better, you know, to be good. But I think everybody in the moment is, uh, is fighting a little bit the other thing as well to get going again. And what is very important now is not to make mistakes, to execute very good, you know, because if you think we have been uh, shut down now almost three months and get going again a little bit of uh, 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 we will be a little bit rusty there you know so we need to make sure that we are uh, on our on our toes that we are not making mistakes to start off with and it must be such a lift for uh, for the team as well that so much uncertainty for for everybody who is working in formula one to actually get there and to you know to get back to austria i imagine it might be quite a 
a feel good atmosphere in the paddock just because, you know, getting back to racing in July, a lot of people weren't sure we were going to do that at one point earlier this year. Absolutely. I, I, and, and uh, I mean, if you would have asked me, or people asked me three months ago, I said, I don't know what, where we are going at, you know, I, this is what I hope that we are doing, but uh, knowing it, uh, I don't. And as you said, because it's a, it's a lot of jobs on the line, you always forget about the people just think we go out there to enjoy ourselves, but this is also making a living for a lot of people, you know, uh, all around the world, Formula One. It's an industry. It's not only entertainment, you know. So uh, uh, I think everybody's happy to go uh, back racing again. And uh, uh, when it started over, if you have a lot of uh, triple headers and things, people will complain. I said, in the beginning, maybe they don't. They are happy to be back, you know, because it's not, it's nothing. There is a new norm now in F1. Normal is not what it was before. Normal, this is the new normal, you know. We need to put in more uh, uh, just to keep on going, you know. And we need to build up our own future again. We, we cannot just sit there and assume everything is done, everything is fine, everything is fantastic. We are in Formula One. Uh, we just need to do more uh, uh, of it. No, we need to restart a little bit and make a step back to make two forward. And I think... Um a lot of people listening to this Gunther, are going to ask the same question is, are you going to be taking your swear jar with you to Austria or is this, is this six months back home? Has it mellowed you so much that we're going to have a different man who comes to the, uh, to the races? Cause I know that you're very good at leaving all that baggage at the door when you do go home, but are you going to be able to pick it up again and take it back to formula one? Cause you've become such a cult figure in from the, from the drive to survive series. <laughs> uh, I had to empty this way, sir, because we run out of money, you see. So that is yeah. empty. I have to take it with me again to fill it up again. Now, I, I, I I, 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 I think I always was humble in, 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 on a daily basis. I mean, when I go racing, that is my passion and there where I, I can live it, you know, and uh, that is what, uh, what I think I need to do to, uh, that we can stay around and uh, that's what I want to do. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm not proud of how I behave, you know, because people think I'm proud of it, but I'm not, but it's part of it. And, but I'm also not embarrassed about it because I don't mean it against somebody, you know, so it's like I'm not having a go at anybody in person, except sometimes the driver when they smash the door, obviously, I was told. So <laughs> that upsets me quite a bit. So, but we are okay again, you know, I'm, I'm never too proud to apologize if I do something stupid, which I sometimes do more often than I should. But, uh, uh I think we go back racing and, uh, uh, my passion is still there. And that for, I don't know, uh, if it has humbled me that, I, that my passion, uh, dies down. I think that, when the passion dies down, you will not see me around anymore. You know, I go and do something else. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I hope not. You know, I, you know, I hope it, I hope it does come straight back to you when you're there. And I'm, I'm sure there's no smashed doors back in the um, Steiner household. I imagine they're all very shut very gently when, when you're back home. Yeah. You know, who's the boss at home. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's the wife. I'm not allowed to do it. <laughs> um, and I was laughing earlier because I was writing down some questions for you. And I remember when, when we usually have these media sessions face to face around this sort of time in a normal season is when we start asking you what is one of your favorite questions because you always laugh. And I think and you know, the drive, what is the driver yeah. lineup next year? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it wasn't so much that it was more how much has all of this, I guess, you, you know, you said there's a new normal. So has, has it, has it changed the way you think about the future lineup? Cause we know that the car development isn't too different over the next two seasons which I suppose lends itself to having stability in the driver market but I don't know whether you think that's changed it too much at all. No uh, and uh, the, the driver lineup is something we haven't discussed I mean I was too busy to uh, uh, getting everything or keeping everything uh, uh, plotting away and getting ready for when we when we go back now finally racing 
So I think I see the drivers in two, three weeks uh, in Austria and we have plenty of time. I want to see their opinion as well, where they are at with their head and what they're doing, you know, before we start uh, to, to talk about drivers. I think the drivers came up this year a little bit early. Uh, it's not early, the time, as you say, it's right that you start to talk about, but normally at this time, no big contract was exchanged like we had this year, which was very odd. I mean, that uh, Sebastian is leaving Ferrari and uh, Carlos is going there and then uh, Richard is going to uh, to McLaren. So normally, in a normal year, that wouldn't have happened. I think somebody just get bo- got bored and, uh, 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 and took advantage of it and said, hey, let's do something uh, uh, which we normally do afterwards and uh, let's get it done now. So and I'm just joking about it. I don't know if that happened or not, but obviously... Uh, it, it, it's like it, it's it's very unusual that such a big driver chain happens this early. So everybody came, was made aware of. Oh, we have to speak about drivers now, you know. So mm-hmm. now it's still a little bit early, and we haven't done any racing. So uh, I'm not in a hurry to speak about drivers, but for sure it will come quick once we start racing. To be honest, you know, and it's the time, and also uh, we need to focus on it. We need to get prepared for next year, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I'd just be the first one of the year to ask you that question because I'm sure you're going to get it more more and more as it goes on. So apologies for that. I could see no your worries. face as I asked you. You thought, I can't believe we haven't had a race yet and he's already asking the question. Um, just just finally, because I, I appreciate you joining us. I know it's early morning there in North Carolina. Um, just how has this been, th- th- this last three months has been so unprecedented. Have you ever faced anything like it? In you've been in motorsport for so long. Has it felt like it's been massively different to other things or has it actually kind of settled into a, a regular pattern when you've been talking to people because you've still been talking about racing you've just the the ramifications behind everything has just been so much more important has it has it felt a lot different to, to previous years in Formula One? Absolutely I, I mean some I personally never experienced something like this and what what, what what I got aware how fragile we are you know and I call it a, a small thing it's not a small thing I'm fully aware of it. it's a pandemic so it's not a small thing but uh, economically we shouldn't be in this position uh, uh, that we are this fragile uh, as an industry, in my opinion, because uh, we don't go racing for three months. Uh, we are on the verge of collapsing, you know, which is quite, you know, amazingly, I wouldn't say good, but uh, we just forget about it, that things can go wrong uh, uh, in life. And what, what we don't have to forget, we now know eight races, but we don't know what is coming after oh, middle of September. So we have to wait for that one. So it's still... On, uh, it, it's still not over, you know. We are still fully in this recovery uh, period, and we will, uh, and we will be for a while. But I think what FOM has done and FA has done is the right steps to take us in the right direction. You know that they have, they have taken the leadership and take it in their hand. And uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to be the person negotiating with these race tracks all around the world of getting uh, permissions to raise spectators, non-spectators. It must be something very time-consuming and uh, because you deal with governments and nobody in the government will take any risk, which I fully understand and I respect, you know, but it's difficult to deal because everybody wishes that uh, you do something, but you cannot because nobody will take the responsibility. And it's not one person taking responsibility. It's a lot of people. It's governments taking responsibility. So it's, it's a tough situation, but up to now, I think, we, we manage it as best as you can uh, uh, manage such, uh, such a situation, you know, when it appears, the situation. I think it is difficult and it, it will stay difficult for another uh, uh, few months because we are not completely true. We will be true once we have done the first races and then when we announce or when it will be announced when we have got the, the next races. But uh, I, I, I think it is, uh, we are still fully in it, you know, in this recovery phase. 
Yeah. Well, Gunther, thank you so much for joining us. I could keep you for another 45 minutes, but I think I've already gone over and I'm sure your press guy is going to send me a slap on the wrist over WhatsApp. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate I appreciate you spending so much time with us to, to chat things over. And um, I guess you're heading to Austria as soon as possible? Yeah, I'm heading to, to, to Europe next week. So at least it gives me a few days and go to my home place, which is not far, too far from uh, uh, Salzburg, uh, Spielberg. So uh, I, I go there by car, but I go over next week and get uh, acclimatized to flying again, you know, uh, yeah. seeing see if, if I enjoy it or not. But anyway, uh, that's what that we'll be doing. Great stuff. Gunther, thank you so much and, uh, and all the best for the uh, upcoming races. All right, so that was Gunther Steiner, Haas team principal, having a little chit-chat with Nate. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. It was an illuminating chat indeed. And like I said, make sure to stay tuned to our ESPN Formula One podcast because next week the double dose of Haas continues. We've got Romain Grosjean joining us. He'll be chatting as well to Lawrence, so that should be an extra treat for you guys. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.